From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 135 today. We are in London together. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined across this very table by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jason. I'm looking at you. I know. We are recording in my living room <laughs> right now. Mega living room. Mega living room. <laughs> so I guess that it's going to sound different and everything, but we, are, we can do the high five that you know well. The real in-person yeah, high five. You didn't hear it because it, it, it was a small high five, but it happened. So it is only time, is now the time, that we must address hashtag Snell Talk for the week. And our Snell Talk opening question for this week comes from Matthew. Matthew wants to know, other than Guinness, what is your favorite beverage when you come to the UK or Ireland, which you do every year now? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to say anything bad about Guinness. Guinness is fine. Mm-hmm. I, it is a style of beer um, that I like, mm-hmm. and it is perfectly fine, although there are better stouts in the world than Guinness. Uh, I don't know. Um, and tea. Tea is good. Right? This is a good place for tea. If you These like islands tea. are good for tea. Uh, I I will seek out. I I like dark beer, so uh, when I'm in the UK, especially, I will seek out if there is a local stout or porter. Since this is the home of of the of the porter, I believe it was invented here, and that's my favorite style of beer. I look for those. I keep an eye on those. I didn't. I had a I had a local uh, London beer uh, yesterday, but it was a it was a Belgian wit style hmm. beer, so it was a little bit different, but. Uh, but yeah, so I would say a dark beer is probably the answer. Not not Guinness. Not Some, Guinness. Guinness is fine, again, but a local different brand would probably be my choice. If you would like to submit a question for our opening segment of the show, you can use the hashtag SnellTalk, and you can do that, and they will come into a lovely spreadsheet. And uh, thank you to Matthew for his submission. We have already had the first casualty of SnellTalk, though, last week. Uh, you bought a new car. You bought an electric car, yeah. which we would have definitely spoken about at the beginning of the episode when I asked you how you were doing. As I gazed out my window to check on the sky and see mm-hmm. if it was it was uh, gray or, you would have or said, blue. Oh, there's a new car out there. I would have. What did you get? We bought a used Nissan Leaf. Mm-hmm. This is full electric. Full electric. Right? It's not hybrid. No, there's no place to put gas. Um, <laughs> well, you can pour it in, but you're just going to ruin the leather. You'll ruin the seats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I one of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna be driving past a gas station and I'm just gonna drive the car right th- like through it and back out the other side and it's just trolling the gas station. But uh, yeah, we were looking for a new car for our second car. We have a we have a, a minivan that's sort of the number one car, and I, right now we have a compact car that's our second car. But it's um, it's getting up there in age and it has some issues with its transmission. And I decided I didn't think it was suitable or safe for my daughter to drive. I'm okay driving it right now, but even I think that it's in the long run, it's just getting up there and it needs to go. So we needed a second car and a car. Our daughter learning to drive has been something that sort of precipitated it happening soon. And we realized that, I mean, I kind of wanted to get an electric car, but we realized that, uh, for a second car, we really didn't need a lot of range, so it wasn't a big deal to buy a new electric car that's got a couple hundred miles of range. We could get a used model. And the thing with a lot of these electric cars and uh, people who are in the know about electric cars, a lot of um, electric car usage is lease usage because it's new technology, and why not lease a car and not be stuck with it? So after three years or whatever, you give it you give it back, um, and you move on to your next electric car. Well, what happens to those cars that were leased when their lease is up? And the answer is they put them out on the used car market at uh, 
a, a pretty reduced price from hmm. what they cost originally yep. a few years ago. And that's what this car was. It was a lease. Um, so, so we bought it for less than a third of what its original list price was, I think. So that's, you know, and I think for us, that was, it was a, it was a good choice because we have, even though its range is not particularly great, I think it gets like 70 miles of range, but that's more than enough for where it'll get used. Yeah. Congratulations on the new addition to the snail driveway. Thank you. Um, let's do some, uh, let's do some, 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 some more items, some follow-up and mini stuff. MLB at bat has gained yes. personalized app icons with, uh, iOS 10.3. You remember that. One of the things that was in 10.3 was the ability for an application to change its icon. And it wasn't like dynamic. You had to make a choice. Sometimes there'd be this little pop-up. It seemed really super weird. Well, now the MLB at bat application will allow you to choose your team's logo to replace the MLB icons on your home screen. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done this with yours? Um I did it and decided I didn't like it and went back to the original hmm. MLB icon because I use that app not just to check on my favorite yep. team, but I use it to check on other teams and scores mm-hmm. and watch other games and things like that. Um, and so it seemed weird to me to turn it into a branded app for for one team. Yeah. Um, and I'm used to the MLB app, so it's kind of funny. I get why you'd want to do this if yep. really the whole point of using the app is to check on your team. But for whatever reason, I just decided I kind of liked it, be- liked it the way it was. The I am. I, I do have my favorite team and all that, but I am checking other scores and looking at other video of other games and things like that. So I decided not to do it. Um, but I, I, I tweeted know. about this. And I heard from a couple of people uh, that they'd heard from people, you know, like as the grapevine goes, Mm -hmm. that this entire feature in 10.3 was for MLB. That is what I've heard from those same kind of, uh, you know, grapevine sources. Uh It makes sense that they would ask for it, but I don't think it makes sense that Apple would give it to them. Like, why? Why would would they give them that feature? Like an entire feature in the OS just for this. They've been a trailblazing um, developer for iOS for a long time. They've always been. This is... Um, a Hall of Fame mm-hmm. app. Yep. I mean, Macworld, I think, put it in the App Hall of Fame. You've, you point. speak very highly of it, right? It, was it a week or two ago? It is, a, it is a, 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 it's a great app, and it's been a great app for a while now. So my guess is that what probably happened is they said it would be nice if we could do this. Um, or they said something like, we are thinking of releasing individual apps for every team because people want this and we can't provide it. And Apple said, no, 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 we'll do it. Uh, but my guess is that Apple wouldn't implement this just for them, but that they, this may have been the impetus for it. Because you can see other examples of this um, just off the top of my head. Um, imagine, you know, Overcast, the podcast player, has a, has a light theme and a dark theme, and the icon is based on the light theme. Well, you know, it's got another color scheme. Why not offer another color scheme for its icon? And that's yeah. true of any yep. any app that's got that. Or you know, you've got an you've got an app icon that you can skin in eight different colors uh, based on people's design choice. Why not allow them to do that? It is a sort of a silly feature, and of course, it has to be done through a user interface. So you can't just change it as a calendar app. You can't change the the date every day. It doesn't work like that. But um, but it allows some more customizability, and I think that's fine. Um, the new uh, iPad has been t- torn down by iFixit, um, and they confirm that it's basically identical in build on the inside to the iPad Air, the first iPad Air. 
just confirms what we thought that they were, Apple were going for. They're trying to make a, an iPad at the lowest price possible, so they're reverting some parts. They're maybe reverting to an easier-to-build machine, um, and that's what they've done with the iPad. I think that, you know, I don't think that it really this is to, to be criticized, but I just thought it was interesting to, to get the affirmation from iFixit. Right, and it seemed like that, that it was basically the specs, other than other than the the processors that they upgraded, it seemed mm-hmm. very much like an iPad Air. And now we know that Dan Frakes at the Wirecutter, who is... Uh, the czar of iPod and iPad and yep. iPhone accessories. He has been the iPhone accessory guy for so long. Um, Dan said that iPad Air cases, some of them will work with the new iPad and yep. some of them won't. iPad Air, not iPad Air 2, but iPad Air. Because huh. the shape is the same, but the location of like the camera, I think, and some of the ports is right. slightly, slightly different. different. Yeah. So you may not be able to reuse that case if you've got an iPad Air. But really, why would you get an iPad Air or an iPad if you've got an iPad Air? They, I mean, it is slightly upgraded, but it's essentially the same. It's really targeted at pre-iPad Air users. Yep. All right, should we take a break? Sure. Jason, would you like to thank a returning sponsor? I am very excited to tell you about our returning sponsor. It is... MailRoute. MailRoute. That's right. MailRoute is a secure hosted email filtering service that you can have up and running in just minutes. MailRoute gets rid of spam and viruses, so you don't have to. You can trust MailRoute to get the job done. They've been doing this longer than anyone else for the last 20 years. They've been leading the way in email security. MailRoute is the trusted authority, and because they're so good at what they do, they have the highest uptime guarantee in the industry, 99.999%. All the great nines, Jason. Did we figure out how many seconds a year they're saying they might be down? Oh, it's not very it's many. Not many. Uh, so many nines. MailRoute has taken all the nines. Mm-hmm. Good luck, everybody else. There are no more nines no more left. Nines. Um, one of my favorite features of MailRoute is they send you a uh, summary email of everything that they've filtered out. So uh, I've got it set to every day, although you can set how often they send it to you. And it lists the subject and the from of every email that has been filtered out. And with one click, you can deliver that message or deliver the message and whitelist the sender. So Mm -hmm. if there is a false positive, you can override it. And then that mail just appears in your box automatically. And that person will never be filtered out again, which is pretty great. So you can find out more about MailRoute today by going to MailRoute.net slash upgrade and sign up today to get a 30-day free trial and 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Lifetime. Lifetime. And if you need it, MailRoute will even price match a competitor's contract. Check it out. MailRoute.net slash upgrade. Thank you, MailRoute, for their support of this show and their support of mailbagging. Mailbagging! Before we sat down today, I was giving Jason a tour of Mega Office, and uh, I showed him where the, the mailbag that he bought me lives. Mm-hmm. So it, it lives. The mailbag the mailbag, lives, ladies and gentlemen. Greatest gift ever. Not only do mailbags live, Jason Snell, so does the Macintosh professional. Oh, what an unlikely turn of events this is, Mike. I was so prepared for today's show. I had a whole document done. We had a bunch of topics all set down. Out. We were ready to go. Would have been a great show. One of the all-time greats. One of the all-time greats. Um, and then 
a bunch of, I guess, an embargo lifted, and a bunch of articles were published. Yep. Uh, to name a few, uh, John Gruber. We have BuzzFeed, TechCrunch, Axios, which I wasn't sure existed until yep. you mentioned it to me. What is Axios? Uh, it's uh, a new one. It's a startup, and uh, Inafree, Inafree used to be at Recode. Recode. Is there. Is there. And Mashable. They all had pieces where Apple sat down with them. With literally those five people. Yep. And a bunch of people from Apple. I think it was like kind of one-to-one in Apple representatives Mm -hmm. to to press representatives to talk about primarily the Mac Pro, but as a whole, Apple's commitment to uh, Macintosh professional users. Um, They kind of touched across the whole gamut, but it's primarily on the Mac Pro. So let's start with uh, what they have done today. Can we start with hashtag Jason was right, only because... I, I would say when people felt despair, I was definitely not alone, but I was on the team who said that Mac Pro is not sticking around and looking old be, just to be discontinued. Mm-hmm. That there has to be another story. You remain faithful Other, everybody else. Otherwise, they would have just killed it. Yep. And that didn't happen. And it turns out we got a, we kind of got a one-two punch today about the yep. Mac Pro. So what is happening immediately is that today... Uh, Apple is releasing a small speed bump for the Mac Pro. New Mac Pros, everybody! I think so. I think it says new on Apple's oh, yeah. store page. They are new. So the $2,999 model goes from a four-core Xeon CPU to six cores, and it gets a GPU upgrade. I don't understand the GPU upgrades, but I know that there's more numbers in well, there. Well, there's two. Yeah, there, yeah, I don't understand it either. There's but the two GPUs, better. and they got upgrades. They made, they made the innards faster than it was. Yeah. I haven't seen whether... Um, this is, I'm sure that, uh, that other people will be writing about it soon if they haven't already. I don't know how current these Xeons are. They may be a year old, um, but But they're, but they're newer than what was there when they introduced the product, which hasn't changed since then. And the, uh, the $3,999 model goes from a six core CPU to eight cores and also gets a GPU upgrade as well. That's it for upgrades. No Thunderbolt, no retina display support. Yeah. It's still using the old, the old Thunderbolt and the old USB three and, and, uh, all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's literally a swapped in chips. Yep on the Mac Pro. But this is merely the starter to what is the big news, the main course of this. Um, Apple has pre-announced today, they have pre-announced that a new Mac Pro and external display made by Apple are being worked on. They won't be out this year, but they're saying it will be out next year. Um, Can I read a quote from John Gruber? Sure. Apple is currently hard at work on a completely rethought Mac Pro with a modular design that can accommodate high-end CPUs and big, honking, hot-running GPUs. I'm not sure if that's a quote from Apple exactly, but it's what John said. Um, And which should make it easier for Apple to update with new components on a regular basis. They're also working on Apple-branded Pro displays to go with them. So let's let's start off with one one key word in this. Is it honking? Well, not not honking so much. Uh, (laughs) Modular. Modular. So, looking at the context of that word, my guess is what it means is it's something that we'll we'll talk about more in a little bit, which is modular for Apple. That it makes it, it, it it's a system that is less carefully balanced and integrated than the trash can Mac Pro that allows them to more easily swap in new parts. Mm-hmm. It's possible 
that it's a modular design for users as well. There's no extra detail here. It could mean mm. that it'll have slots and things, mm-hmm. but I think I what where you're going I think now. the context mm-hmm. here is that the existing one was not modular enough for them to easily swap in new stuff because it or was balanced on the head of a pin. It ended up being less modular than they expected, or like the the modularity. There's a new word for you that they expected didn't pan out, which was that you would just connect stuff to it. Yeah, and and that just that just wasn't a future that was realized. Um. I, I hadn't thought about the idea of the the modularness. I'm gonna I'm gonna go Modul- with modularity. Modularity. Yes. I'm gonna go with modularity. Well done. Uh, I, I wasn't. I didn't really think of it in a sense of like it would make it easier for Apple to upgrade. I was thinking of it in the sense of like cheese grater Mac, right? Where you could open the door and you could pull stuff out, and put slots. new things in. So, you, do you think that maybe we're looking at more like the design is modular for Apple's machines to build more of these and update them quicker, or that users may be given the ability to pull off a door and put stuff in it? Yeah, I think Apple's never going to prioritize card slots. Right. Um, I mean, there's literally not a system they make that has something like that cards and bays and you know open spaces with a question mark where it's your product add-on product can go here but uh the fact is also true that they could do things to make it more repairable and upgradable than it is now even if it's not officially repairable or upgradable and if they did that, it would probably be a side effect of the real reason they're doing it, which is they want to be able to quickly drop in new hardware. Because quite frankly, I mean, this is the thing about the existing Mac Pro that it frustrated people and that made no sense is, quite frankly, for Pro users, they're most concerned about, can I buy the highest spec system that I can? And if you have to wait two years to, to buy that system, or you can never buy it because it's never going to be compatible, then that why do we have a high-end product at all? Instead, you want like feature one of the high-end product to be its ability to rapidly be turned into the latest and greatest processors when or GPUs when they're available. So we'll come back to like to, to that part, like the idea of the updating um, in a little bit, because Apple gave some information about. I think they they tried to explain. I think what happened with the yeah. trash can, but there was more stuff that they spoke about today. Um, Apple said that they will have great new iMacs for release this year, um, which will include configurations specifically targeted at large segments of the pro market. Which I do wonder if that's the iPad or the iMac Pro rumor. That yep. has been going around. That, well, at least the idea. That, that, yeah, the idea that that there are iMacs that are specifically targeted at large segments of the pro market, like they say here. Like, what can we do if we're Apple to take the iMac and make it even more appropriate for the high-end pro, yep. pro market, which they've been pushing it up Me to right you now. you do not need a Mac Pro. No, we don't. Although, you know, I do have those moments when I'm processing, when I'm denoising audio in Isotope where yep. I've pinned the cores and it still takes a yep. minute or two to, to denoise a two-hour audio file and and uh, where I think faster CPU and faster storage, which my iMac is the original G, uh, 5K, uh-huh. so it, it, it doesn't have the faster storage, that both of those things are something I could use. I probably don't need... 
a Mac Pro. I could just get a more powerful iMac if one existed. Yep. So, yep. so I do think that that rumor going around that sort of gotten taken by some people as an example of why the Mac Pro wouldn't exist probably has its roots in this idea that for them to specifically say configurations targeted at Pro users suggests that there's there's more above and beyond where the iMac is today that they're going to try to push those systems to to be capable of. I also see this as no, no matter what what that actually ends ends up being right like no matter how powerful it is this it feels like another part in this puzzle where apple is trying to satiate right like we don't know what it's going to look like yet it might not be anywhere even near a mac pro but just like a bump that we would expect but that what they're trying to do is like okay we don't have this new mac pro until next year but we do have some more powerful machines coming this year you know and they may just call it an imac pro like no matter what it looks like right Um, but i think it's the idea that they are trying to let people know that like we care about professional users, right? That's that they they bang this drum all day, right, right? With this, and one of these things is like, oh, it's for segments of the pro market, because they just want to say like, we promise, like we really seriously promise that we've got something. Well, I think it's an interesting line for them to walk because I, they know how many of these models they sell, and yes, there there's true truth that it's not. Um, exactly what everybody wants but they know that the iMac sells really well and mm-hmm. it's true that the Mac Pro in its current state it does not appeal to Mac users so much as or a certain level of Mac Pro user type right yep so i think this is the uh, i think this is the, the 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 line they have to walk is Making a new Mac Pro doesn't solve it for all their Pro customers because a new iMac is actually a better solution for a lot of the Pro users, not the ones who are really clamoring about the Mac Pro, but you know the iMac's peeled off a huge professional user base. So that's what um, they all... They, it's not neither or, in yep. short, right? They, they, they need to make the iMac better for Pro users who want to use an iMac, and they need to make a Mac Pro because there's another class of user who does not. So the other thing you 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 neglected to mention there, um, in that quote that you that you read, Apple branded Pro displays. So even though uh, they told Neelay Patel that they're, the out, of that they're out of the display business, apparently they're not out of the display maybe, business. Uh, you just didn't listen to the rest, and they said for now. <laughs> maybe or or maybe that was I something think not have changed. I, my, or somebody, something not not authorized to speak about it. Yep. But it's also possible that they did this LG thing, and then they saw what happened with that monitor, which is, you know, not very pretty to look at, and uh, has <laughs> don't put it near Wi-Fi and all these things, and thought yeah. why why did we? This is what happens when we don't make it ourselves. So let's make it ourselves now. But it's also possible that that was just yep. they changed direction and and. You know there are lots of lots of possibilities there, but this is a definitive statement, right? That they're going to make uh, they're going to make a new Mac Pro and they're going to make an Apple branded display to go with it. Yeah, and I'm happy to see that just because it's something that people want. You know, it is another part of the puzzle, right? For people that care about this stuff a lot, right? John Syracuse, like it's it's important right. for them to have this whole thing, and and it does help. It does help inform and enforce the commitment. And it's going to be an expensive monitor, and it's going to be more expensive than your usual external, high, you know, high quality monitor. Yep. It's going to be, but 
that's so and they're going to do that because they're going to sell these things in bundles and they're going to sell them at the apple store and they're going to it's an apple product and with the apple label on it it's going to cost more and that's going to be a profit center for them but they're going to be people who are happy to pay it and people who don't want to pay it will buy something else but at least the option will be there i think it's great i think it's great news because i know you know i the lg display when i saw it briefly it looked perfectly fine but i heard from a lot of people who you know, they would rather just buy Apple hardware down the line rather than go out and buy some third-party display. So, and and right now the Thunderbolt display is the only one that that was the last one that Apple made. So you're out of luck right now. Best Apple display you can buy right now is to buy a device and use the built-in display. John Pakskowski of uh, BuzzFeed asked about the Mac Mini, and. <laughs> a very interesting comment was given. The Mac Mini remains a product in our lineup. Yes, the Mac Mini is a product that exists. Good work, everyone. Uh-huh. Congratulations, we, we saw it on the website. Would yeah. you like to talk about iPhone cases? Yeah. <laughs> it remains a product. Uh, but And we have nothing more to say about it today, I think I saw in one of the, in one of the requests, yeah. which is uh, interesting, right? I... I I think the Mac Mini thing is much ado over nothing. Forgive me if I've said this before, but um, when I see countdowns of like how, or count ups of how long it's been since a Mac Mini update, go check on how often the Mac Mini gets updated. It, it it's this is not this is a product that gets updated seldomly yep. and has been for yep. a decade. This is not. I, I would argue. I mean, it's probably not even much more than the longest it's ever gone without an update. I haven't checked that, but just my gut feeling is when the last Mac mini update came out, it was hailed as being a rare update to the Mac mini. It's not a product that gets updated very often. I was going to point out that the Mac mini and the Mac pro are both interesting examples of products from Apple that in many ways failed to be better than the, pr- the product they replaced. Yeah. Cause like with the Mac mini, you had the four core version that got kicked out when they went to this version and that four core version is still the fastest Mac mini you can buy. And the high configuration of the previous cheese grader Mac pro is actually more powerful than the highest grade Mac pro you could buy at least until today. It may not be anymore. So these are both categories with issues, but um, I think the Mac mini will continue to be around. They even said that it has pro. I believe one of the quotes from an Apple executive said, I think Schiller said that the Mac mini has its pro users as well, but it's got a very different profile. So maybe even in the pro context, you know, we know people who use Mac mini and all sorts of things. Pro, I see it in like music environments and, uh, you know, in audio environments. And there are lots of places where it's useful to have a Mac, to stick a Mac mini. So I don't think it's going to go away either. The only question to me is, you know, does Apple make the Mac mini a low end configuration of what is currently like they're working on as a Mac pro and say like we have one standalone Mac and you can get a, a cheap version or a super expensive version. Or if the, I think the easiest thing would be just keep it rolling. Right. Yeah. I mean, if that Mac mini enclosure and the, and the design inside work more or less, just update the processor every couple of years and call it good. Of all of the Macs in the entire line, laptops, desktops, the whole shebang, it is the one that requires the least amount and just, it, not even necessarily requires from a technical perspective, but just from a customer perspective, like it is the one that needs the less attention. And as long as, as I say, as long as they, 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 you know, they keep it, it's going to remain a product and they just put new bumps in it every couple of years. That's fine. I think it's fine. Yeah. So the Mac mini has gone two years without an update, but it previously, it was updated, um, 
it, it, there was a gap of, uh, this is thanks to uh, N. Kremens in the chat room. There was a gap of, of more than, this is not the record. Um, the gap between um, October 2012 and October 2014 was 723 days. So it's more, but not a lot more. Mm-hmm. And there was also a uh, 574 gap. So I guess it is a record, but not by much. I mean, the Mac Mini... The Mac Mini was ignored for two years before, and now it's been ignored for three years or two and a half years or yeah, yeah, two and a half years. And maybe it gets updated in a year and then not touched for four years. Yeah, like, it I'm might, not sure, but like it's like whatever. It like, might get upgraded this summer or this fall, yeah. and, and but then if they do, I can almost assure you that they will then ignore it for a, a couple of years at least, just because they think that that's enough uh, the the sufficient amount of focus to give to the Mac Mini. I hope when they do update the Mac Mini that they do bring in some of those low end four core configurations again because that was a pretty great system to buy uh, that was a pretty powerful mac mini but we'll see but anyway the mac mini has a history of not being introduced uh with a new version for at least a couple of years so it's not a it's a record but not by much this is exactly what we wanted right what they've given us today like yeah. I mean the collective the collective we of the Apple Think Piece podcast whatever users, yeah like what, I, I, you know. I think so uh, in the sense that not just in the sense that they've announced that something will exist not just in the sense that they've updated the existing Mac Pro which we could argue like why did they even do that and the answer is because they're still selling that old model and at, for that price and it's pretty sad and there are people who still buy it because yep. they need a Mac Pro they need something about it and they have to buy it both of these things happened because of each other it was one or the other either they wanted to update the Mac Pro so they had to talk about it or they decided they really wanted to talk about it so at the same time they also decided to update the Mac Pro right because they couldn't right. have done these updates and not said anything. That would have been worse than I think even leaving it there, right? Yeah, like probably <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't solve it wouldn't solve the larger problem, which is we can talk about later about the method by which they disseminated this information and and why. And that's a little media inside baseball, but but the short version is my gut feeling is that this is a reaction to the fact that they've tried to tamp this down twice with statements from Tim Cook and neither have done anything to to fix it, right? And so this is like, all right, we're going to lay it on the table here this time. Like they, they yep. went, they went a little bit further with it. Look who they had in the room. Tim wasn't there. Oh yeah, right. right. I mean, and they're quite right that it's that it's they know who it's they Phil need and their to software have and speak. hardware heads, right? Yeah. Craig and Phil. Yeah, I mean, Tim's not the right conduit for that information, no. but it still feels to me like there were attempts to send the signal. Yep. And the signal it was rejected. Stick. It didn't stick. <laughs> it's, it's like, like shows no. up. That's right. You need. You're going to give. Need to give us more than that, friend, yep. for us to to get this. So I think that's interesting. But the larger point is: is this what people wanted? In the sense that they said in advance, "Here's where we're going," and that means that we're no longer in the dark about where they're going. And it it, it puts out. It deprives of oxygen all the conversations about whether Apple cares or not about this. You can still have a conversation about how much Apple cares or if they did the right thing or what they messed up. 
absolutely. But it it kills the the thread that is they're not working on anything. They've given up. Yep. And that thread can respawn after this one ships, right? They'll bring that back because that will be inevitably a storyline because it, it has been and it will continue to be. But it, it it's more than a head fake. It is a direction of like, we are doing this. And it calls to mind actually nothing more than when they did that statement before the last Mac Pro where Tim Cook said, we do have a great new solution for our professional users that we're working on that will be available next year, mm-hmm. which they did before they did the Trash Can Mac Pro. And, and this, is the, this is more than that, but it's a very similar kind of announcement where they felt like they needed to send a signal to an unruly pro user base that they were working on something, but yep. it was just going to take some time. To mirror what you were just talking about a moment ago, they've tried to do it again, but it didn't work this time, right? Like last time they said, we have yeah. great professional devices coming and we were like, okay, then this time they tried to do it again. And we're like, no, well, we the need di- more than that. The difference was, is there had been relatively recent, like within yep. a year, speed updates to the cheese grater. And, and it had been too long for the Mac Pro. Right. right. And in this case, it was so stale that yep. that was not going to be enough. I, I would argue that if the Mac Pro kept getting hardware updates every year, even if they were minor, that would have tamped down. There would still be frustration of like, why don't they do more? Why don't they make these updates better? But uh, instead, they got in this really weird position, which we've talked about numerous times on the show, that it's their own fault for, for, for being here. And we can talk more in a little bit about why. But the fact remains that this was the spot they were in, and they had to find a way out of it. And, yep. and this is the way out, is to very clearly disclose, we are working on something, also setting expectations you won't see it at WWDC. In fact, you won't see it in 2017. It will be, I'm not sure they said 2018. I think they just said not this year. So look for it in 2019. <laughs> no, it'll be next year. I think so. It'll be next year. And, but they don't um, want to commit everything, right? Like right. they'll say it's coming. Yeah, yeah well, but- I, I like them saying it won't be this year because that's good because the next thing that would start up is maybe we'll see it at WWDC like the, you know, and, the, and, and they'll tease it and then it'll ship by the end of the year. And they're like, no, that's not going to happen. Maybe they will show it, tease it this year. Maybe not. But at least but we know we don't expect it, right? Like, there's nothing to expect. I, I think it's great for Apple to set expectations oh, like this. Yeah. This is not a consumer product. This is not nope. a frivolous product. Nope. This is not a product that they can really legitimately worry about sales being cannibalized. Because I think they're the only people who are going to buy the existing Mac Pro, as it's been for the last year or two, are people who absolutely have to have it today and are not going to wait. Because everybody else is waiting. So they'll wait a little bit longer so it's a unique position for apple to be in but it allows them to break out of their rules of we never talk about future product announcements and say okay we are working on it you won't see it till next year but it does exist and here are the vaguest parameters about what we're working on and let let's never speak of it again until we see you in 2018 you've been covering this stuff more than anyone for longer i think i I can't think of anybody who's been covering apple product releases longer than you can you have would you have ever imagined that Apple would talk so openly about an unreleased product? Like this isn't just a speed bump. Like from what they're saying, this is like a brand sure. new design. I, I think it's um I think it's a little less um a little less divergent from what Apple does than you might think, only because Apple's main goal in talking about products before they're released is to avoid that is because they want to avoid cannibalization. 
They want to avoid the Osborne effect for people who are very old. They may remember that that's a famous computer industry thing named after the guy who ran the Osborne computer and he pre-announced a product and and then his company um, lost all of its current sales, which is a really bad way to do business. You want them. You want to sell those computers until the day they're replaced. So there's a great um, there's a great podcast. One of those Gimlet Creative podcasts. It's like the eBay one, open for business. Um, Adina was listening to it once in the house, and it was amazing. I'll put a link in the show notes. It is telling the story of the Osborne effect. I didn't know anything about it, but I didn't need the phrase. That is fascinating. I'll put that in the show notes if yeah. anyone's interested. Yeah, so so I'd say, when has Apple announced a product that it wasn't ready to ship? And the answer is, you can look at it. Um, I already mentioned the Mac Pro, which was a head fake, but it was pretty clearly we're working on a new Mac Pro and it'll be available next year or you'll see it next year. Um, and then everything else is exactly what you'd think, which is they announced the iPod and they shipped it a couple months later. They announced the Apple Watch and they shipped it six months later. They announced the iTV, which became the Apple TV, and they shipped it like six or eight months later. Products that didn't exist before, that couldn't be Osborne, right? That's when they do a pre-announce. The iPhone. The iPhone, great example, six months to ship it. All of these, all of these products yep. that were new. So the difference with this is just like, Look, I mean, you can see it. Apple doesn't care if it doesn't sell more trash can Mac Pros. That, that right? Because first off, like I said, only people buying them now, the only people who should buy the new speed bumped version are people who are so desperate. The only computer they can buy is a Mac Pro and they have to buy it now. So they buy it. And it's the same person. And it's, That's, like, it's literally the same person. Off, right? I think it's literally <laughs> the same person as last week. Yeah. Right? I don't think it's even any different between this week and last mm-hmm, week, mm-hmm. even though the specs have been updated. Because it's like... Still not a great buy, and it's still outmoded but it's technology. It's so much better now. Like, we'll say you're being ripped off if you bought it. Like, to, if you yeah. were someone who was buying it before today, like, I mean, you're probably still not getting great for your money. But like, how old it was sure. was like sure. But they they kind of are okay that the only people buying this thing this is a stopgap, and that's why they're okay saying we will have something new next year. Um, I also think that it's interesting that they did that mention about like great iMac stuff for the. For the high end, because that is also a promise of more things to come. They're vaguer about it. They're not ready to announce the hardware yet, but I think it's telling about how little they care about their current Mac Pro sales, which are probably very small. Mm-hmm. That they're re- they're willing to do this and and potentially cut those sales off entirely because they are. I mean, like I said, they already know nobody's buying the Mac Pro unless they're desperate. And they just have to do it. And I don't know who that is, but those people do exist where they're like, I got to get it and it has to be a Mac Pro and I need to get it today. And they're like, all right, for you, we have one. For you, we have a special one a in deal. the back. We is don't it, want me to be working on cooking it up for yeah. you. Handmade in the USA, just for you. <laughs> there is still quite a lot to unpack. Um, but let's take a second break and uh, then we can jump right back into this. Today's episode is also brought to you by Away. Look, your luggage shouldn't cost more than your plane ticket. Jason has his arms raised in glory over My, my Away suitcase is with me. Not right now. I, I left it back where I'm staying, but it, it is traveling with me on this trip. 
If you go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast, you'll be able to peruse Away's collection of suitcases. They're all made of premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance while still remaining lightweight. They offer four sizes of case, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, and the large, and they have a bunch of fantastic colors you can choose from, nine in fact. The interior of an Away suitcase features a patent-pending compression system, which is super super helpful if you're an overpacker. They're all compliant with major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack. So you can still fit it in the overhead and you can get more in than you've ever got into a case before. All of their cases feature four 360-degree spinner wheels, which is amazing. If you go from two wheels to four wheels, it's like your world has been changed. Uh, my world has changed. It's all of amazing, our, It's right? the first four-wheel 360 spinner. All of my previous suitcases are just the two-wheel. So now. Like you don't have to pull. Wheels. I know. In fact, I was oh. doing that on the plane. I went down the main aisle of the plane today mm-hmm. or yesterday with my carry-on, and it was in front of me because that was better ergonomically. Was actually to push it forward ahead of me. You can put it's it like, sideways oh. too, so it just slides down. And the aisle. when you're walking through an airport, you can do that thing where you're where you've got it out, and then and then you realize you're in a place where you need to step up the tempo, and you just do a little like push and swivel, and now it's only on its back too, and it's yep. coming with you. Do you it's know like, what I like doing? It's like acrobatics with a You've got to use your other hand, so you kind of do it like it's curling, and you just like let the case go a little bit and try and walk alongside it and yeah. pick it up. It's great. I love, the four wheels are great, but it's not as great as the fact that the Away carry-on cases come with an integrated USB charger. Use that. So you did you? I did. So you, you have a battery inside your suitcase, which has enough charge to charge your phone five times. I only needed to charge my phone the one time while I was waiting in the Heathrow uh, passport line. But I was Which at about... a long line. I was, you could it was charge a long your line. phone up five times in um, that line. <laughs> I, I could. I might have. Um, and, and so I was uh, about 50% battery and I was about to venture out into London and need to, it would be a while before mm-hmm. I got to my destination. And so I took that moment to, to charge it up. And use the Heathrow Wi-Fi, but also charge it up back up to, I think I got back up to nearly 100% while I was waiting in line. It was Not great. Not at all. Away believes in the quality of their products. This is why they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they will fix or replace your case for life. They also have a 100-day trial, so you can live with it, travel with it, make sure it's right for you. If at any point you don't like it, just return it for a full refund, no questions asked. Look, travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more, go to, to find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast. And if you use the code upgrade podcast at checkout, you'll get twenty dollars off any of their suitcases. Of course, upgrade podcast is one word. That's awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast and the code upgrade podcast for twenty dollars off. You can also visit their stores in New York, LA, and London. We could pay a visit there if you want, Jason. We could go down the to the Away store while you're here. Thank oh, you so much to Away for the support of this show. And Relay FM. I would go there if I didn't already have one. We could. We, that would be nice when we take a little take a little visit a again. second on this. Although you know, one of the big suitcases. I'm. We may buy some of the big suitcases. They don't have the batteries in them, but they're still great. But they're still, still really cool. Great. Yep. All right. So it turns out. Turns out. Turns out that the Trashcan Mac Pro was kind of ended up being a bit of a misplaced bet for Apple. Yep, that's, I think, the best way to put it. They uh, What Craig Federighi said was, we designed ourselves into a bit of a thermal corner. The idea here is that Apple thought that the future of high-performance professional stuff was multiple GPUs. So the Mac Pro trash can, for those who don't know, is on the inside, it's a triangle. 
It's basically in the very center. It's got the fan core. The fan blows from the bottom, blows it out the top, or sucks it from the top and, and exhaust it puts it out. But anyway, there's an air chamber right down the center of it. And that's that's for cooling. And it, and it blows it out the top. Yep. And so the in the triangle around it, there are these three motherboards or three boards. And one of them has the processor on it. One of them has a GPU one and one of them has GPU two. So that was the whole design. And Apple's like, this is going to be great. This is the way way of the future. Turns out. Turns out. It's not. (laughs) Turns out the way that this went, Apple tried to steer the industry, right? Apple tried to do one of those things where it's like, we're visionary. This is going to happen. And it totally didn't happen. Instead, it turns out that the the future was pretty much what the present was back then, which was we're going to make GPUs faster and faster and more powerful and more powerful single GPUs. Yep. And what happens Mike when uh you make a chip faster and faster and more powerful? It gets hotter and hotter. It gets hotter and hotter. And what Craig Federighi said here is that the problem with that is they became unable to put high-end GPUs in the Mac Pro because they couldn't cool them fast enough. That they had balanced this design on ahead of a pin that they had made this three design thing and that limited the amount of thermal capacity that they had. Yep. And um, it's a big admission from them. They didn't talk about this in terms of it being a, a design failure, but it was a it's a design it's a failure of vision and a failure of design or some combination thereof. I mean, they designed it the way they knew what they were doing when they designed it. The problem was they were designing for factors that turned out not to be true and that they couldn't recover from. And I think that's the I think that is the most telling explanation about why the Mac Pro has been sitting there like a lump for the last few years yeah. is they, they spent too much time trying to fix it, I think. Right? Like yeah, it could that, be. that they they've wasted time in trying to fit stuff into this machine and they could just never get it out of the door. Instead of just declaring it dead. Yeah, they may have tried for a couple of years to like... Because they would have wasted money, right? And and which may have been why the upgrades didn't happen at all. And then they finally had a moment where they realized, we just got to throw this thing away. This is not serving anybody. They pushed it past the point where it's it's in use anymore. Or the the way they would say it is, not that it's not serving anybody, but it's not serving enough of a group of users there's still a group of users that it's not serving and those people aren't being served well enough the people right. that it is serving the people that are buying it and using it and needing it they're not getting the experience that apple wants them to have yeah so something should have said as well as we've said we made something bold that we thought would be great for the majority of our mac pro users and what we discovered was that it was great for some and not others enough so that we need to take another path so they're basically saying Look, some people are okay with it, but look, we know that we failed. Yeah. We failed people. That's it. And and at one point, um, one of the executives, it might have been Schiller, said, used the word sorry. Yeah, he says sorry. So that we're sorry to, mm-hmm. to the, the, these users that have been frustrated by it. Yep. This is, I, I know that people are going to say, well, Apple didn't really say whatever. This is the most you will ever get out of Apple. This is this is Apple. <laughs> if you want more contrition than this from Apple, you're never going to get it. You're never going to get it because they're never going to be more contrite than this. This is them saying, we blew it. We, we had a failure of vision. It led to our design going in a bad direction. We failed to support some of our users and we're sorry. 
I know that they have too much pride, even in this statement, to come out and say it in that way because it's PR and they want to have it be a positive spin. You know, and a positive spin is, yay, new Mac Pros are coming and, and Apple recommits to the high end. But, but, you know, you can read it unless you are willfully trying to ignore what they say. You can read it very clearly here that they're admitting they blew it. And that's good because, I mean, they blew it, right? They, the fact that they give detail about why they blew it is fascinating to me because they could have probably just kind of whistled and said, yeah, it wasn't for everyone. We learned our lesson. We're going to do something different. It'll be better. But instead, you know, they went into some detail, which is, you know, we, we designed this thing for something that it turned out to be completely wrong for. And that's why it's a goner. From Schiller, the current Mac Pros, you said a few times, was constrained thermally, and it restricted our ability to upgrade it. And for that, we're sorry to disappoint customers who wanted that. And we've asked the team to go and re-architect and design something great for the future for those Mac Pro customers who want more expandability, more upgradability in the future. It will meet more of those needs. So there you go. Like, we are sorry to disappoint, is what they're saying. Right. So a lot of these quotes are coming from uh, John Gruber's piece, which you should go and read. Like, we'll put links in the show notes and all that, but John goes into detail a lot about, like, just his experience of being in this environment, which is mm-hmm. also kind of fascinating. But yeah, so, you know, as well, like, they, they don't, Apple do not go into uh, any details on what stage they're in the design process. They're not talking about that. Like Sheila said, look, we're just not going to. Um, but they're looking to do something that can be supported for a long time with customers with updates and upgrades throughout the year. We'll take the time it takes to do that. And that is the where the modular concept comes from, I think, which is the idea... It sounds to me, and we'll see it in practice, right? But it sounds to me what Schiller's saying there is, okay, you're right. We When we design this new thing, it needs to be something that we can upgrade regularly. Like... We get it that pro users want the cutting edge, and we can't deliver it right now. And so we that's got that, too fancy. With that's our right. And so whether that is we're going to release this and then once a year do a processor upgrade, or or maybe it certainly open the certainly opens the possibility that what they're really saying is we will design this thing so that whenever there's a new CPU in the class that we support, we will we will rapidly update these things because that ideally what you'd want for and what what the pros want is intel comes up with a new processor that is appropriate for this this uh, machine and within a small time horizon apple is selling that in the mac pro so that's what you want that like in that in that kind of guys that you could just buy it from intel and put it in yourself do you think they do you think they'd ever make a computer like that no. I don't think they would intentionally make something like that. I think it's more likely that they would that the engineering choices they make in making it upgradable by them internally would Maybe have the could. side effect yeah. of it being upgradable externally. It's possible. Like if they had, you know, if if it makes sense for them to do it that way, they'll do it. But it's going to be one of those aftermarket things where. I feel like more likely it's going to be an aftermarket thing. It would be great if they put the GPUs on a card. And said, hey, pro users, upgrade it yourself. Go for it. Knock yourself out. I feel like they might go like middle, like kind of middle of the road. Like you won't be able to pop out everything, but you might be able to do more than you can currently do, right? So it it returns to a world that is more like the cheese grater. Right, where you have the ability to pop and pop out more stuff, you could you could upgrade the graphics yeah. card and stuff in those, can't you? So you know they might go back to that world. Yeah, I mean it's possible. It's possible. My gut feeling is that they won't. 
like I said, I, my gut feeling is they won't do it as a as as something they hey it would be nice if if third parties could sell graphics cards for this that we're then going to have to deal with like configuration yeah. and support yeah. and drivers and things like that. Yeah, but it may be a side effect. They also, I guess, don't want to just sell one of these. To people and then they keep it for 20 years right right they, they like probably, john syracuse yeah they probably want to <laughs> make something that at least because it's such a small market and they're putting all this time in again um that that people are going to buy them maybe once every three four years or something it is really interesting to me that they're doing this i mean i'm happy they're doing it i'm pleased but I don't know if they're ever going to see the money back that they're going to invest in this thing if you consider the loss of the, the, the trash can, right? They, the, the trash can must be a loss to Apple from yeah. an R&D perspective now. I think, it's, I think it's a cost of doing business is they want to be in the Mac business and the Mac business requires they have a high-end pro system and they made a bet on the Mac pro trash can and it's a, yep. it's a failure. And it's a rare abject product failure from Apple. Now, we, you know... It doesn't happen often. People, the people who are agitated about the touch bar may say that that's a failure. We'll see. But it will take Apple trashing it for it to be an official declaration of failure. Trash the can. But they trash the can, or they're in the process. They updated the can in the process of trashing it. It's an interesting decision. <laughs> Sometimes you, you got to live with what you got. So yeah. they also spent some time talking about the Mac in general. Right. To... I think alleviate the concerns. Federighi just like head on, te- like talks about the fact that people, as he refers to on internet forums, uh, are, are concerned that can, Apple doesn't care about the Mac that anymore. Websites and podcasts are forums. It depends on the on internet. Your, it depends on your def- like how he's using the word, right? Because forum could just mean an avenue for contributing thought. I mean, what he's talking about is podcasts and blogs, right? Um, about the concern that people have about like, and he talks about it, right? If they release an iPad or they release any new product, but they don't touch the Mac, then it means that they don't care about the Mac anymore, right? And and that they're, does it mean that if they're not updating the product that I love, that they don't care about my product? And, and right. he says, look, I understand how that will come out in the form of concern that this is happening to you. But they say the Mac is, we say it over and over again, is here to stay. It is a huge part of our future. We are deeply invested in it. Three years ago, Federighi and Schiller told me in person on the occasion of the 30th anniversary of the Mac, and I quote, the Mac goes on forever. Yep. This is, he's absolutely right to say, Apple has been consistent on this point. We care about the Mac. In fact, they used this opportunity, Federighi did especially, to try to bat down this idea that the existence of the iPad means the Mac isn't important anymore. And they they said people talk about the iPad and it creates a sense of insecurity. What does this mean? But they say it's not a zero-sum game that they care about the iPad, they care about the Mac, they care about the iPhone. These are all product lines they care about. And they're not they're not taking steam away from one in order to inject it in the other. That that they're now, you know, in the end they're one company, but they can but companies can scale. So I think their argument here is that as their product line grows, they're they're growing and they're able to keep this attention. We can you know, again, you can say we can we can argue about whether Apple is living up to this promise or not, but the argument that Apple's not making promises you can't make, right? Because they've restated it again 
It could not have been more recent, saying, no, it's not a zero-sum game. We do love the iPad, but that doesn't mean we love the Mac any less. And we are going to keep on doing this. It's part of our future, and we want to invest in it. We can all argue the details, but unless you just want to say they're a bunch of liars and they don't mean it, I think you have to at least give them credit for committing to the Mac here. We can talk about the details of whether it's a good commitment and whether they're really capable of committing at the level that's required. We can debate all of that, but it is interesting to see them feel they needed to make this affirmation, to feel that they needed to put it in the context of the iPad, right? Which is, which is a big part of the conversation on internet forums. So it's good to hear. Right, it's good to hear that because they didn't yep. need. To, that's talk about things in this in this event that they didn't need to say that they went out of their way to say. That is that is a big one. Should I double down? We're committed to the Mac. We've got great talent on the Mac, both hardware and software. We've got products planned for the future, and as far as our horizon line can see, the Mac is a core component of the things Apple delivers, including to our pro customers. Now, technically, the horizon line is as far as the person observing it can see. <laughs> And as far as the horizon line can see, is that like an even further out beyond? Yes. I can't see it, but the horizon line the horizon tells me it. that it doesn't see it either. Or is this one of those things where it's like infinity plus one? Probably he just means as far as as far as to the horizon. And it looks like we can look forward to uh, the Inside Apple Pro podcast coming quite soon. As Sheila says, we're really serious about this idea that we want to figure out how to better communicate with pros. We understand their jobs rely on this stuff. They make important decisions about this stuff. They need to hear from us. We do have a process we need to go through to make products and not tell competitors what we're doing and on and on. But we're trying to have it not all be one way and find the right balance. I think this is really interesting. This, that is, yeah. Here's the thing. Again, Schiller, if you want to come on the show, you know, as part yeah. of your outreach for professionals. Phil, Phil knows who I am. It's cool. We can, we, I, I have had great interactions with Phil. But um, the, the idea here, I think, is a good one because what, what he seems to be potentially suggesting, and this goes back to, like, Apple's culture changing, is... Consumer products need to be surprises, but enterprise products, business products, professional products don't. Bottom line, they don't. They're buying them anyway. That's right. Big reveal of the the, the curtain reveal that Steve Jobs was so great at is great for consumer products. But I think you could really make an argument that on the professional level, and the Mac Pro is the perfect example of this, is anything gained by doing a big reveal on the Mac Pro as opposed and I would say no in fact what is gained is giving a roadmap and being clear about what your update strategy is going to be in the long run back in the day I learned this when I started in this business Mac Week existed and it was a weekly newspaper essentially about what was going on in the Mac the entire premise of Mac Week was that they rooted out what Apple was going to do next when Apple wouldn't say because their audience, which was decision makers who spent a lot of money on computer hardware, wanted to plan their buying decisions. Now, I'll grant you, a little bit of that was a lie. People like to know what the rumors are, just in general, and people would lie to get copies of Mac Week. But the fundamental premise is true, which is professional markets, people who spend a lot of money, whether they're individuals or they're big corporations, for stuff like this that doesn't have any consumer impact, it's not going to be a big holiday seller. 
they would rather get information up front that makes them confident investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in hardware. Rather than being like, well, I could plan my budget, but instead I'm going to wait for somebody on stage to pull some, you know, pull a drape off of a product and and reveal it. Um, now, I think I think it's interesting the venue that they chose to announce this because most of the people that they talk to, while all of them are excellent tech journalists, most of the channels they write for speak to a broad consumer audience. <laughs> Which to for whom I mean I love I love BuzzFeed I love Mashable oh, well okay Mashable's fine I love BuzzFeed <laughs> sorry title suggestion Mash, Mashable and Guinness are together in the mm-hmm. fine group no they're fine and Lance is great and Lance has been doing this a long time the people are great but some of those brands those are consumer brands the BuzzFeed audience the BuzzFeed tech audience yep. does not care about the Mac Pro right so. I, I think that's a little weird. Like Gruber, I think is the perfect. Like if there was yeah. one person for whom everybody who cares about the Mac Pro is going to get the information, it's somebody like John Gruber. Yep. So that part's a little bit weird, but the truth behind this statement still goes, which is this isn't a product Apple should play, play coy about. Apple should be more transparent about this. Apple should get over its obsession with secrecy about something like this. In fact, Apple would be better taking a book from, taking a page out of Microsoft's playbook, which has played this game for decades now, which is when you're communicating with businesses, just tell them what you're going to do. Not only uh, is that good for their planning purposes, but it actually allows you to blunt the competition because you've now pre-announced what you're going to do and that makes it harder for the competition. You know, if you don't announce anything, there's a window where the competition comes out with something better and then they're better than you and you've got nothing to say. And so they can make hay with that. But if Apple's out on the record as saying, look, this is what we're doing in six months, it makes it a lot harder for somebody else to come in and say, Hey, what's Apple got for you? I've got this thing today. I think it's good. I think it's a good move. I think Apple could really move in that direction with products like this. Apple doesn't have a lot of products like this. This is a product that has no appeal to consumers. Literally zero appeal to consumers. If anything, you want to stop consumers from buying. I'm not sure Apple has another single product like this. But it has this one. So why not disclose? Let's talk a bit about the briefing. Um, From what we know, right? Mostly from what Gruber has told us. Uh, and a little bit from uh, Panzerino as well. It happened in Apple's product realization lab, <laughs> which is effectively, I think, kind of internally called as like where the Macs are made. I haven't decided whether this is a brilliant bit of theater or whether they literally have no place else to host something like this because they're moving everybody to no, this, this Campus 2. They wanted to walk people through yeah, this room. Yeah, but again, maybe it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Like, where are we going to put them? And it's like, we'll do a... We'll do a fancy, a fancy meeting in some place that yeah, they could, Im- impresses yeah. upon you. This Hotels, they could clean up a conference anything, room, right? Like the, they they chose this place to like really set the scene yeah. of like look at all the Macs we've made. It's similar to when you get the Johnny Ive interview in the Johnny Ive studio. It's similar to after yeah. the Antenna Gate thing, where a bunch of us were taken over to the the chamber anechoic thing. chamber. I was trying to think of that word earlier. Anechoic. Anechoic. Yes, that's like one of the. You know, I, I think we spoke about this in the show every now and then. We all find out a new phrase and like use it a bunch, right? Because mm-hmm. they told us a new. Thing, like chamfer yes um I, I prefer my anechoic chambers to be chamfered there were nine people at the table yes this is from john gruber phil schiller was there federico was there john turnus who is the vice president of hardware engineering in charge of the mac the new name for us that's also a nice uh there yes there is a guy in charge of mac hardware this is a new here name. he is mm-hmm. bill evans from pr yep 
Mac Matthew PR. Panzerino, TechCrunch, mm-hmm. Lance Ulanoff of Mashable, Inafried of Axios, John Paksowski of BuzzFeed, and John Gruber of Don't Fireball. Yep. Who wasn't there? Everybody else. But like, who should who? When you look at that list, because you know, you said like that you find it weird that BuzzFeed and Mashable were there. I, so who should have been there? I think they got the right guy there because it's Gruber. Everybody else and Panzerino. I think TechCrunch, although. Technically, it's about the business of technology. At least they are a, a very arcane site for a very specific group of users, and 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 Panzerino is the best, right? He he knows that stuff down. In fact, their coverage of Apple detail is way more than what TechCrunch probably should have. But like they've got Matthew the Panzerino thing. They've got Matthew Panzerino, yeah. so why not cover it? Because yeah. he 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 can cover it. So let him cover it. Um, and the other people are all great journalists. I'm just not sure that they're... And so it's fine. And they reach great audiences. I mean, Ina Fried, Axios is new, um, but I think that's a, a paying her respect as a as a tech journalist to have, very her, good. to have her be there. She was at Recode before. Even though she's moved to a different outlet. Um, and then as for, for BuzzFeed and Mashable, like, those are great people. I'm not sure their audiences are a great match. I, I was joking before we got started that, you know, one of the challenges is like Apple PR now invites YouTubers to events, but they didn't. MKBHD in, got an exclusive interview after the MacBook Pro, right? As he so, should always, forever. Well, yeah. So you could argue that maybe uh, maybe MKBHD should have been at this event. Well, they wouldn't let him make a video. Well, that's the thing, right? So I can I can see that, and then podcasters would be the same way. And I'm not saying us, but like given how much that. ATP covered this subject. Would they invite Marco? And would he come? And would he want? Would he want to do it? I don't know. That might not be the best fit. John Syracuse, I didn't even mention because he wouldn't want to come, and Casey List would turn them down. So Casey, Casey doesn't want to talk about it. But um, so I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm the challenge, say it you know, the, me. the challenge is there isn't Ars Technica. Maybe there there used to be. You could lift, list off the litany of publications that care about the high-end computing market. And they they kind of are not prominent anymore. They do exist, but they're kind of not prominent anymore. I, mean, I would honestly say that, that these audiences, these markets, they have turned to podcasts. It, it doesn't make sense to me why they don't invite like the ATP crew. They just, ha- they just haven't gotten... I think I think that's it, it, it's going to take them some time to to warm up to that. Frustrates but, me, Jason. but I think the advantage of inviting John Gruber is that he has his he has his very broad and and deep technical audience of Daring Fireball and the talk show. Yeah, and so it's a great two for he. It's I a think great. Me and you were great, saying great again, like we said this before, they could have just invited John. Like this could have just been an exclusive for Daring Fireball, and it would have reached everyone it needed to. I um I agree. I mean that's I I think. I think it's great that they invited more. They may have felt like they they wanted more coverage, but and I think the because, uh, only person they needed to invite was, was John Gruber. Because everybody, like, you know, I, I've read, uh, I read John's, I've read Panzerino's as well before, because um, this broke like an hour before I was recording Connected. And Panzerino gave another insight, which was great. Like, his opinion was really great. But like, if all they were doing were trying to reach the pros, then Daring Fireball would would, yeah. would reach everyone they needed. To. I would say, you know, somebody somebody like Jim Dalrymple because he's got a very broad audience. Although the Loop is a small site, and I can say that because I'm I'm an even smaller site, right? Six Colors is an even smaller site. But at least Jim has had great relationships with Apple and and is listened to about these uh-huh. things. Um, and and like ours is a good example of somebody a site that still has a lot of of technical 
depth, but you know, so it's, but it's tough. I'm not saying this is a no brainer and they miss some people who are obvious. Um, It's just interesting. If if I was still at Macworld, I would be super bummed out that I didn't get invited, but I'm not at Macworld anymore and I don't have that bully pulpit anymore. But you know, there was a day, I guess is what I'm really saying when you could count on a, a bunch of kind of enterprise and high end creative sites or or magazines or newspapers that you could say it and that that, that doesn't really exist anymore because you're right it has it has gone to blogs and the web and the and the reality is that you know there are only some bloggers that Apple's comfortable with but these some of these websites are you know they're great they're great sites I, again I feel like this is going to come out as being like Jason's got sour grapes that he wasn't invited first off I wasn't available but um, more than that it's like no I have a little site I I'm I'm just interested in the mismatch of news that it's very important to us because we've been talking about it all this time, but like the bulk of people even reading the tech section of BuzzFeed just don't care. I mean, it's an esoteric product for the very high end. I'm not sure it's that important. It's great because you've got a great writer who you're comfortable with if you're Apple that you invite to do it. And so that's what they did. But it is a little weird. It, it, it is a little weird of a list. Um, like I've, I look at this list and I my mind is boggled that there were no Vox Media properties at this. It's a little surprising. No Recode, no Verge. Like, that is very surprising to me. Like, surely, surely the Verge has a higher yes, audience. That's a great example. Than BuzzFeed CNET Tech. CNET is another CNET? not a bad example, or right? Mashable's Tech. Um, maybe even for this type of thing, bigger than TechCrunch. Yeah, like people go to TechCrunch no, for the movies and right. shakes in Silicon Valley. It's entirely possible. In fact, given how Apple pride, I think Apple PR, so much of it is, I don't know if they pride themselves on it, so much of it is personal relationships. My my best guess is that whoever originated this idea, and it was probably Phil, likes said, this group of people said, the most. these are people, well, it's not even like, these are the people who are going to get what we have to say. Okay. Right. Okay. Because it's going to be a pre-brief and they're going to write their stories, which means that's a leap of faith for Apple because Apple has to say, um, here's what we're saying. Now go away and write it and we'll see what, what you come up with. So, and, and you could spin that as being, these are the people that Apple considers dependable sources for their PR. I think that's unfair, but people will spin it that way and already have been. But I do think that Apple doesn't invite you if they're not comfortable with you. And these are writers Apple Trust. trusts. Yep. To get it right, not necessarily to parrot what they say, but to get it right in this context. And so, bottom line, I think that's why. Because, like, Ina is a great example. Like, the Axios audience is not the same as the Recode audience. It's building and it may be great someday, but they trust Ina and they should. And so, it's great that they invited her. So, let's talk about like, they gave some statistics today, which I think highlight why it is strange to go to like broader tech websites. Apple's Mac sales comprise 20% desktop, 80% laptop, right? So for the, like there is 20% of their entire market, which may even be interested in these announcements today, right? Um, And of those 20%, a single digit, it's Mac Pro customers. Less I, than a single digit. I think yeah. It well, you know, it's like not it's no like digits. Small, There's nothing sorry, lesser than... you know what I mean. Like a low single it's digit. It's a low... Yeah. Um, this is good because this they dropped out the mix of desktop and laptop. They used to report desktop units and laptop units of Macs, and they stopped. Um, and so I've been saying for a while now that somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of Macs sold are laptops. 
because th- those were what the numbers were regularly. They were they were going closer to 75%, but we haven't had hard numbers there. And so for them to disclose that it's 80% laptops... It's more than... It's, like so it's more laptops than you even thought. Yeah, right? so now... Yeah, so it's gone... Since I've been tracking that number, it's gone from from two-thirds to three-quarters to four-fifths now. It's full-on 80% laptops. And yeah... Most of the, what do you think most of those desktop sales are? They're iMacs. So what's left over is tiny numbers for the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro. MacBook Pro sales are up twenty percent year on year for Q one. I think that's a false flag. I don't. I don't think that it's saying that the Touch Bar is amazing. I think it's just saying there were new no Mac. Mac yeah. there, we, people were waiting. It was pent up demand. Yeah, I agree. Um, and fifteen percent of all Mac customers says Phil Schiller. Uh, use a pro category app multiple times a week, and I think it's thirty percent use one once a week, and they consider the, you know their pro apps or I guess like something like Photoshop or something. All of this just goes to indicate this market is small. Yes, it is small. Yes, and that that's important to keep in mind when you think about when, everything they've done. When your today. favorite tech podcast, and and it might not be this one. But when your favorite tech podcast, well, my favorite tech podcast, ATP, right, devotes so much time to this topic and has historically yeah. for its entire run. But I assume it's they have a very large percentage of their audience that want to I, hear I it. I agree, but th- this is the point. It may be your favorite tech podcast. It may be your favorite tech podcaster's favorite subject. It may matter to you. This is always the challenge, right? Just because it matters the world to you, just because it matters the world to your friends and the people you listen to, you can't lose perspective of the fact that for a lot of people, it doesn't matter and it's not important. And so it's just something to keep in mind that that it's an important, just because it's small doesn't mean it's not important, but it does mean that for the vast majority of the people who care about Apple products in general or even the Mac in particular, it doesn't matter to them. This is a niche product. It's an important niche product. It should exist. I'm glad that it's going to exist. But... Let's not forget that the number of people who actually need a Mac Pro, even in our audience, I would imagine, is small and will remain so even if there's a snazzy new model in a year. Anything else to say on this? No, I'm, I am... Bombshell of a day. I am relieved yeah. that Apple... This has been my frustration with the two Tim Cook head fakes, right? Is that... It, it, they really seem like, calm down, it's going to be okay. No, nah, by saying it's going to be okay, he means it's not going to be okay, right? That was like the answer. It's the internet. It happens, right? So he's like, no, 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 it's fine. Nah, that means not fine. He, he, he just saying, saying it's fine is like when Jason said Guinness is fine. It means that he doesn't really love it, and he, I want him to love it. So I, I'm glad they finally are like, all right, listen, listen, you people. <laughs> Here are the details. Good. It, it's great that they did it. It, 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 it. it at the very least changes the debate to something more tangible than Apple doesn't care and I don't think it's going to be around anymore. And I think it perhaps suggests that Apple is going to open up about this stuff more in the future, which I think it should. should take a break. Yes. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Blue Apron, oh Blue Apron, they are providing people with beautiful food to cook at home. 
For less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. They are the number one recipe delivery service that has those beautifully fresh ingredients. Blue Apron is trying to make home cooking accessible to everyone. So what they do is they deliver this food with step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe cards, proportioned ingredients, and you can prepare all of these meals in 40 minutes or less. They do this while supporting a more sustainable food system. Blue Apron Seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Their beef, chicken, and pork comes from responsibly raised animals, and their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. You can choose from a variety of new recipes every single week or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. No recipes are repeated within a year. You'll be able to cook food like smoky seared catfish with glazed udon noodles, baby broccoli and fontina paninis with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad, or maybe even parmesan-crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. I didn't have lunch today because there was oh, far too many neither. things happening, and you're, I'm dying You're right killing now. me. This now, is... I understand now why these ad reads make you cry this late in go, the day. because I is, always read so them this around is, dinner time. This is breakfast time for me back mm-hmm. home, right? So I wouldn't be bothered, but now it's I want to eat all the food, Jason. Right now. I have like a list of recipes here, and I just choose from a few of them. Uh, you could make me all of these right now, and I would eat all of them. I'm feeling the hunger pangs right now. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental U.S. There's no weekly commitment. You get those deliveries when you want them and their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase by going to blueapron.com upgrade and that includes free shipping as well. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So go to blueapron.com upgrade and we thank them for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Time for Ask Upgrade. Christopher asks, a question probably only Mike can answer, uh, what Apple device color is best for stickers? So, I have recently become partial to the gold devices for this, so my uh, regular size iPad Pro, the 10... 9.7 I keep calling it the 10.5 because I'm like so you're, set yeah. on this happening you're living in the future uh, that is gold and so is my MacBook Adorable that's gold and I really like that it's just something different it's an interesting backdrop color um, I'm interested in seeing what rose gold might look like or maybe like red or you know give me a color let me see what mm. I can do um, I think maybe more I haven't tried it on uh, any of the, well I got what I got the dark gray one space gray. space gray and that looks pretty good but it's still too close to silver go for the colors interesting i have no opinion about that although i will point out that i have my macbook air with me today and there is a there is a decal on it it has the rainbow one mm-hmm. i i try and get the rainbow stickers for all of my devices yeah marco asks is there any twitter client that lets me group who i follow like sports people tech people and professional related people um I feel like lists, lists is what Marco's looking for here. I don't know if you tried that. I use lists all the time, and that's the answer. Is Twitter has a feature called lists. It's built into Twitter. And they could be private. Many Twitter clients have that built in as well, yep. that you can build them, and you can you can add a person. Instead of following mm-hmm. them, you add them to a list. You can add them to multiple lists. So I have a sports list that is a curated list of sports journalists and athletes and things like that. It's people I'm interested in who say interesting things and it's great. Not only is it great to read, but it's also great uh, because Nuzzle has a feature that you can, you can Nuzzle is the service that looks at your social media feed and provides news headlines. You can also use your lists to feed Nuzzle separately 
And that's great because that creates a, a, a sports news reading list. And I also have a space and science list that um, that is curated of journalists and scientists and things like that who cover space and science. And I love it. So that's I, I couldn't recommend it more. All reputable Twitter clients support lists as does Twitter like itself. Change it so the, the list becomes your timeline, essentially. Right, so it looks like it's just your timeline, but yeah. it's that specific list of people. That's one of the things I love about, um, I, since I use Twitterific, is that the list interface and list support is really great for it. I've got a little sidebar with all my lists, and I can even make a one of my icons, like my timeline and my replies. I have I have them for my two lists. Too, oh, nice! And a save. So, like in the little search. tabs, like the little tab thing, you can change them to. Yeah, yeah. So mine, cool. mine is mine cool. is timeline mentions a saved search for the incomparable. So I can see if people are talking to the incomparable instead of me. And then sports and science. That sounds pretty sweet. It's great. Michael asked, any suggestions for a media player that can access files from Dropbox on iOS? I don't know. Um, I wondered if this is one that the Upgradians can help with. I I tried to look for something. I found an app called Equite, but that's just like to load, to play your local music and stuff. But this is like to take files from Dropbox and play them. And I, I don't know if it would maybe pull them from the web or it would like pull them and download them. I I couldn't find anything. If if any upgradians know, let us know. Well, like Goodreader can be linked yep. to Dropbox, and you can download things into Goodreader from Dropbox. Okay. and it's a it's a pretty decent media player. Someone in the chat room, I, I've just tabbed out. I'm on my iPad today. Uh, suggested VLC, maybe maybe VLC could do it. I don't know, but uh, yeah, the, I think there might be some options. I'll put those two in the show notes um, so Michael can get those. But uh, yeah, so maybe Goodreader, maybe VLC, maybe there's something else. Uh, if there is, we'll, we'll provide it in follow-up uh, next week when we do that. Uh, Doug wanted to know, do you buy any magazines or comics in print? I'm curious to know which parts of your media libraries are still analog. What about you, Jason? I am almost entirely digital at this point. I don't buy comics. Other than occasionally something that I truly love, I will yep. buy basically yep. a keepsake edition. Yep. Like Especially, even though they make trade paperbacks now, I won't even buy those, but I'll buy the hardcovers sometimes. So like when the entire Hawkeye run from Marvel Comics with Matt Fraction as the writer, when that finished, I bought the hardcover of Hawkeye. Um, so I will occasionally buy the hardcovers of things, but even that is becoming more rare it's all digital and books it's all digital if i buy them i buy the ebooks um so yeah i'm i'm pretty much done with consuming analog media um i guess you know blu-rays aren't analog they're digital but they're physical media i will occasionally buy a blu-ray and uh i immediately convert it to digital right i rip i rip it and put it in my plux library so, but I will at least occasionally buy those because they've got better stuff on them or they're, or they're uh, cheaper. I, uh, you can see my vinyl over there. Oh, yeah. So I have a record player. Um, I got the record player because I started buying vinyl records of my favorite records as like a keepsake. Yeah. Because they're just nice to display. Then I ended up with so many that I was like, I want to have something to play these on. So I bought a record player. And every now and then, I will add to it some of my favorite albums. I haven't done this in a while, and I should, because I have a bunch of albums that I really love and want to add to my collection. I do that, and then I buy like the occasional graphic novel or book in hard copy if I really like them. But I'm similar to you. I never start, right? I never go into something cold and it's physical. 
Like I start with the digital and if I really love it, then I'll buy it physically. Yeah, I feel like that is the um that is the secret to the Video success games, of actually. physical stuff. Video games is maybe the only thing I still do that with. Just because it can take so I mean, not now with my mega internet, but it can take so long to download something. Right, like you ordered that uh, that game, and you had it. You wanted it delivered by drone. Yep. Um, and I, it will come well, quicker. I think that I think they know that for keepsakes and things like that, that's a that's a market for it, and that's why you see even for video games that are available for digital download, there's also the special edition that comes in a yep. booklet and has all the extra stuff. And I have so many of those. Yeah, right, right. but like with the Switch, the Switch carts are so small. I'm still buying some games on the carts. Um, as well as buying from the eShop. Uh, Cliff asked, Mike, you really got into buying watch bands, Apple watch bands in the beginning. I was wondering if you're still adding to your collection. I haven't added any in a while. Um, I really like the nylon bands, and I'm keen to see the new ones, the new stripy color ones. I haven't got any of them yet. Um, I showed the pictures to Adina, and she said she didn't like them. Um, I'm wearing the the blue nylon today. Yes, from I see the that. first edition of that. And I really like those. So I want to go and take a look at them. If there's any that I really love, I'll get them. But like I showed them there to Adina, she was like, I don't like the look of them. Um, she, she is kind of, she helps me with the things that are supposed to look good. Mm-hmm. Um, Smart. But I do want to see them because I think they look cool, but I haven't bought any yet. That's Ask Upgrade this week. If you want to uh, send in any questions for Ask Upgrade, you can always tweet at us with the hashtag Ask Upgrade and we'll get that. Now we're going to take another break here. And when we come back from the break, we've got Mike at the movies. I watched Alien yesterday. And we're going to talk about Alien. Uh, but before we do, Mike at the Movies this week is brought to you by our friends over at Encapsula. Hey, Encapsula. Oh, we love Encapsula. They are the multifunction content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. I want to talk about those bad guys. Because websites of all sizes can be attacked. This happens every single day. Criminals use giant botnets to scrape website content. Scrape is such a harsh word, but that's what they do. They try to break into databases and bring websites down with denial of service attacks. Encapsula's network holds three terabits per second of on-demand scrubbing capacity. Scrubbing beats scraping, I think. And it protects, and sorry, and can process 30 billion attacks every second. That's a lot of attacks, Jason, in a second, 30 billion, but Encapsula's got it handled. This is why Encapsula's network has successfully defended some of the largest website attacks on record. You can see anything as it's happening on the Encapsula dashboard. It can help you adjust your security policies on the fly. And if something bad does happen, Encapsula's powerful CDN ensures that your content is delivered to your customers fast. You don't want people bailing on your website because something bad's happening. And with Encapsula, they wouldn't even know because everything loads so quickly. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. This is where you can find out more and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So, Alien. Yes. I watched this yesterday. 1979. I watched it yesterday. I was very apprehensive of this one, Jason. Very apprehensive. I don't like scary movies. Mm. Um, and I I was worried about it. I, I, I was very uncomfortable going into it. I've seen some of it. I, I think I mentioned before, I've studied some scenes of this movie for a media degree. So I have seen the stomach scene about 50,000 million times. Uh-huh. We watched it over and over and over again to study everything that was going on in that scene. 
So I knew what I was in for. I mean, and everybody knows some of the scenes from Alien, right? Like it is a, it's a landmark movie. So I was a little bit like, mm, unsure about it. So, but I've watched it. I watched it yesterday. Do you want to know how I felt about it? And we talk about some of the parts. Or do you yeah, want, yeah. I can see why so many people love this movie. It is incredibly well made. It is an intriguing movie. It is an interesting world. It is a movie from 1979 that holds up in every respect today, right? Other I, than, you know, the monitors. We'll get to that. <laughs> the old text. The big the big, t- big TVs I mean, like weird text on Production value yeah. perspective oh, yeah. that holds up. I mean, I probably watched a, a restored version, you know. Sure, but it's still the movie that they made back then. Yeah. So, so th- this was three years before Ridley Scott made Blade Runner, which is o- often hailed for its visuals and it's it's sort of a, a visionary science fiction movie we should maybe do blade runner next because there's a new blade runner movie coming right i know you know yeah. eh, but i've never seen blade runner all right um we could do that um people are going to really be unhappy with me i don't speak about blade runner publicly because i don't really like it so that's my maybe we should talk about it instead of it being on the incomparable you're, where yeah, like maybe serious right. people you know um but alien i feel like you could argue i'm not going to compare it to blade runner i will say it, there's a reason it looks as good as it does and is as interesting as it is. And it is not a surprise that three years later that guy made Blade Runner because Alien is itself a, a pretty tremendous technical achievement. It it just, it looks amazing. And it, in, in not, I think maybe it has some, some benefit of being, of following Star Wars. It is aggressively not the kind of sci-fi movie that you saw in the late 60s and early 70s where everything is clean and white. It is, like Star Wars' universe, taken to an extreme. It is dirty and gross. There is steam flying out of everything. For 95% of the movie, steam is pouring out of a pipe. Yeah, and you get the sense that this this is a spaceship that has been worked hard, um, it's a blue collar spaceship. It is these people are workers. They just want to go home and get paid, and instead they have to go and get diverted to this other place. Their ship is their workplace. It has shown signs of wear and signs of work. It's been out there a long time. It's dirty and messy, uh, and yet still a spaceship, which is a great combination. Yeah, like me and it, you know, I told her the end. I was watching it, and I told her that I was like um, apprehensive of the movie. And she asked me after I watched it, like, oh, how silly were the special effects? I'm like, they weren't. Because it wasn't, It's because she was like, oh, how dumb was the CGI, right? Was her quote, was, <laughs> right? Or like stop motion, or you, right. know, you know, like the stuff that looks stupid in Terminator, right? Right. It was none of that. Here. No, the only, the only, the, and I had somebody tell me that it's good that it's this way because it's a release of tension, but at the end of the chestburster scene where the alien emerges and runs away, it's oh, no. like, it's it's literally it like we, we, we tied a puppet to a fishing line and pulled it across yeah. the floor. It is so terrible. And the only other part as well for me is when uh, the alien is shot out of the ship and it's so obviously a man in a suit. <laughs> Right, like it looks so bad. Fair enough. Those are the two parts. But most of the time, it's, and, it's terrifying. And it's the Jaws. It's the Jaws story, right? Which is by not showing it so much, you make it more scary, and you don't give the yeah. opportunity for it to be de- demystified and and for you to pick it apart. Much of the alien, yeah. right? Like they just show parts, and it's and it is a legendary piece of crea- creation of of character design. It's that freaking me out HR thinking Geeker, about it right now. Like um, Alien it. It could not be a more iconic monster design. It's disgusting. And yet one of the things I love about it is that, you know, 
it doesn't linger too much on on the monster, which I think makes it better and more scary. And yes, I, I think this movie, for a movie from 1979, I think it holds up pretty well, technically. Not perfect, but it holds up pretty well. I, I, it's not my, it's not my kind of movie. It just isn't. I don't yeah. like feeling anxious or uncomfortable when I watch movies, and like I was for the whole time. This is the only movie where that I have watched for this show where I was doing other stuff while it was on for parts. Like I had to yeah. be like reading Twitter and stuff well, because I was it was I was so uncomfortable. So we talked about this on the Incomparable, and one of the things that I think we all agreed about it is we think of it, or you can think of it as a science fiction movie. It's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. Like, literally, the characters are picked off one by one until there's yeah. only one left. And like, just like every other horror movie. Scares, it's a slasher movie. Right? The start of the movie, yeah. the computers coming on are supposed to scare you. Yeah, no. Because it happens like dead silence, bang, computers yeah. on. It's like, but, oh. But I think the brilliance of setting a slasher movie essentially in a science fiction universe is, that is one of the reasons for its its appeal, is that it it is... Not the movie you think you're watching. It's also less scary because it's not a human. Right. It's a monster. Because I, you know, it's like that alien's not going to come kill me. Right. Because it doesn't exist. It's. But like, I can't watch the home invasion type movies. Right. Because that, that, that could at least plausibly, even if it's only slightly possible, it does, it could happen. And an alien xenomorph um, stalking you on my spaceship is probably not going to happen. Not in my lifetime. Yeah. So I struggled to watch a lot of it, like in really focused, because I knew a lot of the stuff that was going to happen. Right, like you could just tell. But when it was more action or drama or suspense, not suspense, but like not a suspense in a, not a thriller tent, you know, kind of way. Um, I actually, I, I really liked it. Like, and I can see why this is considered to be one of the best movies ever made. Like, I can see all of it. I just couldn't enjoy it because I was too uncomfortable watching it. So that's kind of my overall feeling. Yeah. I, I know and I can see so clearly why this is one of the best movies ever committed to film, but I just couldn't I think, enjoy it. I think the first part isn't great. I think it starts out really boringly. And a lot of times I use the phrase, if this movie was made today, and I follow it by pointing out all the ways that modern movie making would screw it up. I... I feel like some techniques of modern movie making would help the first 30 minutes of Alien because it is a slow... Building. Yeah, but some of the space stuff is just but so slow. But when they're slow. out on that planet, oh my God, I wanted to kill myself. It was so boring. It's Yeah, it's trying to build up the tension, but it's it, it's not... For all the visual um, strengths here, I think, I think Ridley Scott, the late 70s, early 80s Ridley Scott of Alien and Blade Runner, I have issues with the pacing of so his movies. Um, and I realize that just means that I'm a... I'm a whippersnapper, but I I feel like both of these movies have parts that are just super sleepy. Ash, they're trying to, I mean, a lot of it, they're trying to show that Ash is a weirdo, right? Like, you're supposed to feel like he's weird. Because that's set up for later. But, like, you could have done that more economically. Just when he's in that seat and they're out on the the ship, like, out on the, 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 like, on the alien ship and stuff, it's like, oh my God. Well, they make, they land on this planet and it's a soft landing. And it's fine. And in the landing, you get the impression it's supposed to be a, a pulse-pounding, thrilling, uh, d- dangerous descent. But you kind of don't see it. And all you hear is like these alarms going off all yeah, over the yeah. ship. And it's really weird because 
what were the alarms for? It was a, apparently a routine. Can you imagine in an airplane as you were landing, like all of the alerts go off? Because we're going to be landing now, going to be landing. There's no problem, but like we're going to make a lot of but noise. Boop, boop, boop. Yeah, it's, oh, uh, yeah. it's, it's weird. I, I love it. It gets sh- a lot better. It gets a lot better when they bring him back to this, when, right? When they bring John Hurt back to the spaceship, it gets a lot better. It's like, a lot I like faster. the conceit of like they're asleep on this ship, they're in suspended animation. Like all of that is like super smart. Like I've seen that used in so many other places. I don't know if Alien was the first movie to really use it, but like I liked it, right? Like I liked all of that. I thought Mm -hmm. it was cool. I loved the super old school technology that's intended to look futuristic. The ship is just covered in lights, like the mother room. Yeah. Why is it just, why are there just lights everywhere? But it doesn't matter. There's loads of lights everywhere. Like the keyboards are like super clacky, like your kind of keyboard. Like, you know, I, I, I like it. One thing that I found really weird about this movie and I didn't like, and I didn't understand why there was so much corporate politics baked into it all so yeah it's it's funny so uh, the reason is maybe i don't know whether you got this or not and i this is why i think a modern science fiction movie would do the setup better is the reason we get the detail about they're working for the corporation and they're being sent on this job and all of that is that there's the revelation when ash turns out to be an android one of the revelations is that they're all considered expendable because all that really matters is they want to get the alien and, yeah. and 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 so the corporate politics is all meant to be I mean it's it's a biting satire cuz these are blue collar workers who are being sent on a mission that might that is highly risky and may result in their death because the corporation has decided it's worth it to risk the lives of their employees for profit. That's yeah. actually what's happening here, but you don't know it. I think it is it is not told as clearly as no, it should uh, be. One of the problems for me anyway is like the sound is terrible. Like at any point where people are talking, like especially when they're it can sitting be hard around, to understand it's the like, dialogue, oh my god, yeah. they're having seven conversations, yeah. and like you can't hear. Don't any watch of a them. Robert Altman movie. Okay, but you know, Over, like when they're right. sitting around that table, it's naturalistic. It's a seventies thing. It's a naturalistic dialogue kind of thing. I did. Really it is hard. Didn't like it. it is hard to follow. And and again, you could argue that a modern SF movie would set up this better, but it would also be really obvious and less artful. And yeah. that's also true. But I, I do think that there might be a... Uh, I, I think there's probably a really good fan edit that probably has already been made of Alien where you could make Actually it hear make the story clearer. Yeah. Um, I really like the kind of Hitchcock vibe of the way the characters are set up. Like, you have no idea Ripley's the main character of this movie for such a long time. Right. And like, and and you're like, what, it's a Hitchcock what's the guy's level name? thing. Yeah, where it's, I loved it. I absolutely loved it because again, when this oh, is Tom probably, Skerritt is the captain, right? Yeah, like what's his name in the in the movie? I don't remember now. I haven't got IMDb in front of me. Yeah. Um, but like as well, like in that media class. I mean, this is probably why we did it. I don't remember. Like I don't remember enough of it. But in that media class, we cited Psycho, which is probably why we also that's, watched Alien. That, that's why I like, cited Hitchcock. Of, yeah. It's the same idea. You do, the movie you're watching is not the movie you you think you're watching. It's like she's just this background character. Like she has barely anything to say for like the first fifteen twenty minutes of the movie, and then she gets killed. But John Hurt is clearly John Hurt starts as your main character. Well, no, the first I mean Tom Skerritt. As Dallas, he's well, the captain yeah, of the ship, like, right? John Hurt's the first person that wakes up, sure, right? So like he's your hero, and then also like he's the person who goes out and like he's out on his own investigating, yeah. and then it's like oh, but he gets eaten by the monster basically, right? So then yeah. it becomes Dallas is the ship's captain. He's the only one that gets to go into the special room to talk to the computer, and he gets taken away yeah. by the monster. And then it's like oh, and then you got Ash, right? Like it's but, but like Ash is like this he's, dude. He's, he's doing all the but, investigation. He's suspicious, but you follow him. No, it's this woman Ripley, yeah. who's a total badass, but you don't know that until the end of the movie. Me. Yep, and I loved that. Right, like I loved that. I mean, it's slightly spoiled for me because hindsight shows me that I actually know 
it is Sigourney Weaver who is the hero. Yeah, of this, I know it's hard, right? But but it's you can but appreciate still, the art of yeah. The, I could still like really appreciate how the movie is built. Like when I'm watching it the first time, I'm like, oh, maybe like in this movie. Sigourney Weaver isn't that much of a star. Like, you know, you see that where it's like someone's in a movie and then they go and make another movie and they become a megastar so they make them more important. I think of Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Parks and Rec has Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. And and he's like a bumbling character but then they make him more and more important because he's about to become the world's biggest movie star. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, I I liked all of that. Um, You know, and the intrigue begins like when Ash lets the alien in, right? The face hugger in. Um... I didn't like Ash. Oh, well, good, good reason. He was seemed untrustworthy. How do you how do you like his uh, how do you like his death scene or his almost death scene? The 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 robot smashing the head smashing and he's squirting. All right, milky okay. goo. So instead of blood, yeah, they they screwed this up. Right, this scene is not done well enough, and the reason is is because they clearly add in voiceover work to say he's a robot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no one could tell what the hell this character is supposed to be. Right. He took it too far. He tried to build his own world in a way that was that is imperceptible to what people would expect these things to be. Why the hell is the robot bleeding? It looks like an alien. We are in a world surrounded by aliens. Right. Right. That are bleeding weird things. Right. Like he's Acid. already set up in this movie that these aliens drip weird goo, and then you've got this thing that's having its head smashed off, and it's got white liquid milk pouring out of it and like it doesn't all of the parts of the inside don't look like anything like any, like robot parts they're like these weird balls and like tubes which just look like innards of an alien mm-hmm. and obviously when I, the way that I look at they're showing this movie I'm sure there's a story about this but this is the, the law that I'm telling myself they're showing this movie to test audiences they don't understand no one understands what the hell this thing is because you can hear it I mean I can hear it I because I'm quite in, tuned into where like audio sounds in different environments because of what I do for a living and he gets, uh, what's the what's the character's name? The guy who hits him in the head. Um, he's one of the worker guys. He's the one who's like left alive at that point. Like, is where's it, a bandana? Is it Yafikoto and Parker? Parker, yeah, I think it was Parker. And um, he um, he's the one who smashes the ash in the head with the like fire extinguisher or whatever. It's like a big piece of metal, and all this liquid starts pouring out of him, and he lands on the ground. He turns away, and you hear him say, "He's a robot." Mm. Ash is a robot. Yeah. But like he, that wasn't in the original movie. All right. Right. Because you can't tell. Like what the hell is this okay. thing? It took me so, I'm like, is he an alien? Like this is what I'm going <laughs> through my head until he says it. Because it doesn't look anything like a robot. Robots don't bleed. Right. And I know what it's meant to be, right? It's like the liquid that causes an android, yeah. whatever. He has milky, gl- milky goo. But I don't think that they did a good enough, I think, I think that they took it too far. All right. Um, intro- but like, fascinating. And I didn't like that scene. Right, I just didn't like it. It was too brutal for me, like the skin tearing and all that stuff. I really liked his head being on the table, though. That was freaking awesome. Yeah, yeah, I really cool? like that. That's the only effect that doesn't work. Like when he changes, when he changes yeah. from one to the other, like what are you gonna do? They, right. That's hard to even do today, right? Mm-hmm. Like with CGI or with practical yeah. effects, like it's hard to do that sort of thing because like there's just something about humans, right? You can just tell when it's a human and when it's not. Like, we just have that ability to just be able to tell, right? Like, you've got the rogue one. You, there are people, not everyone, but like a lot of people, I mean, we can tell when talking is not real, right? right? You, can, you can just tell. Um, and 
I liked all that part, right? Like, everything that happens before that as well, like the lead-up to his death is funny to me. I love that Mother, as a um, modern, is is accurate to modern digital digital assistants, and that she cannot understand the commands being given to her. Mm -hmm. Does not compute, unable to compute, reminds me of Siri, right? Like, I don't understand what you're saying. Let me Google that for you. The crew being expendable is good, right? Like, when they find out the crew is expendable, like, that's cool, right? At that point, it's like, you, you understand all the story and everything that's happened around it. Like, I enjoyed all of this. I I really, I loved the scene where Ash explains his motivation when his head is cut off. It's my favorite scene in the movie. Like, when he is, like, laughing at the end. It's like, you have no chance. And he thinks it's awesome. I love that. I loved all of that part. Like, that was so, it was all such great acting. And I love the idea that this there's like this evil vindictive robot <laughs> and because I think that, that one of the, the, the like the female um the, the one who's like super hysterical um uh, she's just saying like you like this don't you like you you love this outcome like that kind of thing and he's just kind of like I just like seeing what's happening right like he just likes to see what's going on um and I think that's really interesting um then of course like you know it kind of all moves along i i i don't like the logic of ripley um risking her life to save the cat yeah i don't, I don't think you'd do it i, I know you have cats or right? i know I like you have the cats cat. and i don't have pets but she, it's more that like i know you want to save she the doesn't cat. do a lot she looks for the cat at the point when she could be like finding the escape pod, like when she's on her own after everyone else is killed. Well, she has to double. She has to double back in one of the things that I really like. She sets the self destruct, and this movie does what few movies I think do, which is you buy the self destruct, and she's going to the exit, and then she realizes that she can't, and so she like, or she de- what she deactivates it, but then it's too late. It's too late, and she starts screaming at the yeah. the digital assistant. So like, there, the mother. she tries to tries to deactivate it, fails to deactivate it. Um, which turns out to be fine that she fails, but that's a nice a nice moment. I don't know. I like the cat. I think that's a great example of the lived in world that yeah, this is. That they, having they the have a cat on the sense, ship, but like, and it hisses at the alien. And I, I feel like there's too. She should be too scared, in my opinion, to, right, of this alien to to take care to of the even cat. think about the cat. That's but again, like I know that I'm not the right person to judge this because I don't okay. have animals. But like I just don't really get in the rest of the movie that she's super attached to this cat, like to the point that she would risk her own life to the save oppor- it. Opportunity to save the cat. It's the only other creature left alive on the ship other than her and the alien. I guess, and she doesn't kill the alien, right? The alien's like I don't really, I didn't really get what the alien was. Was the alien asleep in the pod? Like why is the alien just laying up in the pod? I don't, I didn't get that at the at the end. Yeah. It's uh, it's hiding. It's stowing away. It's, it's hiding. It's hiding. Right. So it's trying to get to Earth. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense then. I didn't fully understand. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird ending. It's it, like it's like what is it doing? And yeah, that. But I did like it's, that. It's part. a it's a scary monster that you think is dead that's not dead and it has to jump out at you and say boo because it's a horror movie. But it's just it's super just weird that like she reason. sees it, it doesn't see her. She gets into the uh, like into the space suit. Um. I was kind of uncomfortable with her being in her underwear. Yeah, that came up in the incomparable episode. It, it, it's it's because her underwear so voyeuristic. Small, yeah, uh-huh. but but I find it there's something you're talking about like the lived-in world. Her underwear is too small for her, and that was kind of a an interesting choice. Yeah, right? I like I like that you might end up in space is so bad that you may end up being chased by a monster in your underwear. 
like I, I like that, but the cho- the choice of the underwear was kind of like this is this strikes me as being a a, a choice that was made in a less in a in a less for audiences. Time. Yeah, but yeah, it, there was just a part of it like where I was just like. <laughs> It was but just it's make, interesting. It's, it's, it's to an make her vulnerable, and I yeah. mean, there's. I, I get the reasons for it, but, but I, I just think, wish it hadn't happened. I think today, I wish she would have. She was just like she would have slightly less revealing underpants on, or, or that she was just not in any armored clothing, or like she was in like long jump. You know, like she's just not in the right. appropriate clothing yep. to deal with an alien. But I wish that she just wasn't in such revealing clothing because it just makes me uncomfortable to see that kind of thing now because my brain knows that it's wrong. You know, it's yeah, like, well, I don't, I don't like this. They're, yeah, that's an obvious uh, thing that they're but, doing. But there. we see a lot. Watching the movies from the era that we watch these movies from, this sort of stuff happens sure. a lot. It happens. Sure, I mean, we should count ourselves well, I mean, lucky that, that she doesn't, that the alien doesn't Star come Trek. and rip her top off. Was it Star Trek? <laughs> Was it the second one or the first one? Right? Well, yeah, the. Um, like the captain's thought is changing, and there's this, that scene of her taking her clothes off, and she's in her underwear. Oh, Star, Star Trek into darkness. It's into darkness. Yeah, that's a bad scene. Yeah, I know that received a lot of flack, but it's exactly the same scene as this, right? It's like she's just changing for the sake of changing on camera. But like having her not having her have to put clothes on adds tension. So she has to get into that suit, right? Yeah. She has to get into the spacesuit. So, like, the build of her having taken off her clothing gets in the spacesuit so she can live when she opens the hatch all makes sense. But, like, if it was made today, you know it would be made differently. Right. Right. But And I love the murder scene because it's not scary, it's action. And I loved that scene. I say murder, like, where she gets rid of the alien, yeah. right? Like, her, the way in which, like, the plan that she formulates to get rid of the alien, including the point where she's in the co- in the closet, like, all of that is really good. I liked that scene because, like, it didn't feel scary because, like, you know the alien's already there. Like, you know it's there. Right. And it's for- suspense. It's not a surprise. But it's it is suspense. It is one of the effects that doesn't look so good, like, when the alien's, like, jumping out of the steam, like, one of the many steam scenes. Yeah. Uh, and then it's difficult to understand what is happening to the alien. Like I ended up just working out on my own that like, she's just sucking the oxygen out. And that is not clear. Like initially it just looks like the alien's just getting shot with steam, but it's like, well, if steam's a problem, it would have been dead hours ago. Cause <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very, spaceship is full of very steam. steamy spaceship, very steamy spaceship. Uh, so yeah, I, I have to say, look, this was not, a. I didn't dislike this movie because it was a bad movie. And I didn't dislike this movie. I just couldn't really like this movie because it's not my kind of movie. So that's Alien. I think we should maybe do Blade Runner. Okay, well, we can, we can it. discuss it. I mean, if you if you think that it's going to be bad, then maybe we shouldn't do it. But um, we no, were originally I, it would be planning, a fascinating compare and contrast for you. Like we were originally planning on doing Alien and Aliens, but I don't think I want to watch another one of these. Okay. We can do Blade Runner. Let's do it. Okay, so Blade Runner next time. I actually think we're going to do one maybe at the end of this month, so maybe we'll do Blade Runner. So that's Alien, um, and that's this episode. We're done. Uh, We're actually going to be together again next week. Oh, yeah, we are. So this was our London leg, and we're going to be in Dublin. Uh, If you're you're listening to this before Wednesday, if you're coming to the meet-up, can't wait to see you. That's going to be fun. We're doing a meet-up in London tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that thanks so much for listening to this week's episode you want to find our show notes for this week loads of links this week go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 135 thanks again to our sponsors Encapsula Blue Apron Away and Mail Route 
We'll be back next time. You want to submit questions for Snail Talk? Hashtag Snail Talk. Questions for Ask Upgrade? Hashtag Ask Upgrade. You want to find Jason online? He's at JasonL on Twitter. Sixcolors.com. Incomparable.com. I'm at iMike. I-M-Y-K-E. And we'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Jason Snell. Yeah.